Well, this morning we come to Genesis chapter 35. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Genesis 35. Jacob and his family are now getting out of Shechem, a place they never should have been in the first place. Um, Some very bad, some very sinful things took place there, and uh, we talked about that last week, but we'll see now that they will be moving on. So if everyone's there, we'll start reading in verse 1 of chapter 35. It says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Now, there there comes a time in the lives of many people when they realize they've had it all wrong for many years, maybe. Now, of course, as a pastor and as a Bible teacher, I'm, I'm speaking in regards to spiritual things, things of the soul, matters of the heart, right? Jacob here has just come out of a place, the city of Shechem, where he didn't belong and his family didn't belong there. It was a place, like I said, where he never should have been. He never should have stopped there. And God tells him to go to Bethel, that place where God appeared to him when he was going through a very difficult time in his life, his brother was angry with him and wanted to kill him. And God appeared to Jacob to let him know that, that he was God, that he had a plan for Jacob's life. And it was a, a grand plan indeed, as we've talked about in the past. So in verse 2 there, Jacob repents in a sense, right? He cleans up his house. He gets rid of the things that he never should have allowed in his life in the first place. And for every human soul still alive on the face of the earth today, they all must come to this place in life as well. Um, For me, when I first heard the gospel back in 1986, um, it drew me to read the Bible and to, to study the Word of God for myself. The word of God then led me to a place of repentance and I got rid of all the foreign gods in my life, in a sense, and I made a decision to change. Uh, There were many things I worshipped in my life before coming to Jesus Christ. I worshipped myself, right? I was arrogant, I was mouthy, and in many ways very disrespectful to other people and to my own body as well. I worshiped alcohol, and uh, so often, as alcohol does in the lives of many people, it led me down a path of destruction. I worshiped the music of the world. Uh, The lyrics became what I lived out, what I followed. And I can go on and on, but the bottom line is I needed what every other human soul needs, and that is to know and to walk in obedience with my Creator. But it does require some effort. There are things that we must rid ourselves of in this life when we come to God. 
right? Uh, certain things are internal, things like pride and selfishness and self-seeking, right? In the New Testament book of James chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And I wanted what others had rather than what God wanted for me. Life, you know, at that time was all about me and I was confused and many other evil things, as it says in James 3.16, entered my life. Uh, make a, at least a mental note of that scripture and read it on your own, James 3.16, where envy and uh, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. As a matter of fact, take some time to go through all the 316s of the New Testament. It's kind of interesting when you do. But it's important to realize that when you want to walk in obedience with God, you must first clean up the house. There's a, a cleaning, a cleansing process that takes place. Often, most often, that's the work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts, but there are things that we have to put aside, things that we have to let go of, say no to, things we used to walk in, right? Because we are the temple of God. Um, let me show you this one because there is another uh, 316 verse. Um, let, let's mark this page. I want to show this one to you. First uh, Corinthians chapter three, verse 16. The New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So this is why I said that Sometimes there needs to be a house cleaning that takes place, right? And you are that house. And you need to get rid of, in your life, we need to get rid of, in our lives, I should say, all that does not glorify God. And this is what Jacob was doing back in Genesis chapter 34. Again, he made that bad decision to stop in that place, Shechem, and it turned out very bad for his family, as we saw last week. And we don't know how long Jacob was there, or at least uh, I don't as I speak this, but uh, maybe you've been in a Shechem for a long time now. Maybe your life, right, you've been in that place where you ought not to be separated from the living God and not walking in obedience to Him, right? Maybe you've only been in Shechem for a short time. Whatever the case is, it's, it's not too late. It's never too late to clean the house, to get rid of all the foreign gods in your life, all of those things that do not glorify God, and to make a change. And let me for a moment just drill down a little deeper with you here on, on what I'm talking about, because there are thoughts and philosophies, you know, ways that maybe you've always believed things to be, things that have gotten ingrained in you, right? Um, it's most likely the result of the way that you were brought up. These thought patterns were trained in you as a child, your mother, your father, your brothers, your sister, your schoolmates, whatever it might be. 
they all thought this way and they lived out these things. And there are hundreds of examples of these patterns, these things I'm talking about, things like, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Um, I'm this religion and I'll always be this religion. This is what I was brought up in. This is what I was trained up in. And these things get ingrained in us. Right? And, and we want to walk to the beat of our own drum. We say to each his own. We say, I'll, I'll do it my way. Right, All these kind of philosophies and on and on they go. But then at some point in your time, in your life, I mean, God appears. And you may all of a sudden get a desire to know God more and to understand his holy word more. And when you do, you begin to realize that all of your past philosophies from your upbringing never really made any sense from a truth standpoint, your eyes become open to the things of God and the word of God, right? Now, for me, this happened at an early age. I was 21. And I realized that God had a calling on my life after that to do what I do today, but I had to clean the house. And again, it was the work of his Holy Spirit, but there was a house cleaning that took place within me because the temple was polluted with many things, many philosophies, many wrong ways of life. So this is what we see back in Genesis chapter 34. You can go ahead and turn back there. Jacob was getting closer to the place where he was supposed to be. And he was cleaning out the house and saying, let's get rid of this. We're now going where God wants us to be. Get rid of this. And then in verse 3, Then let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. You know, it's hard for me to go too quickly past verse three here because for me personally, it's one of the most deepest scriptures in all the Bible because God answered me in the day of my distress 30 years ago and he has been with me in the way which I have gone ever since that time. And I'm sure others can testify of that as well. But I made a choice in my life to make an altar, to surrender my life to God and to begin to seek him, right? To live for him, to worship no one else, not myself, not anything else, and and to worship him alone for the rest of my life. And I encourage you to think about what the altar really is that you worship at? Is it an altar of religion? Is it the altar of another man, another woman? Is it the altar of money? The altar of success? What is it that you worship at? What are you chasing after? Whatever it is, just know that God wants to be there for you, but he won't force himself upon you. Sometimes he allows these mistakes in our lives and when we go down this path, or that path, and then he appears to us as he's doing to Jacob, saying, go here, this is where you need to be, right? But he won't twist your arm and make you surrender, right? But he will knock on the door of your heart. And we need to get up and answer that door, and we need to build an altar unto him because everything else you may worship will one day leave you high and dry. It fails on you. It all falls apart. And I know worship seems like a strong word, but really that's what we end up doing when we place our affections right, on other things or other people rather than God. We end up worshiping that. 
And it becomes that altar in our lives, that place we rely on, that place we always go when it really needs to be God, okay? So in verse three, Jacob gave his household the instructions. And then in verse uh, four here, it says, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. Now, Shechem was that place here that he was leaving behind, okay? So therefore, the sins of the past were not going to be carried with them into the future. They were going to be left in Shechem. And again, for those that, I'm relating this to those that come to faith in Jesus Christ. This means that someone decides to repent of their sin and begin a new life that is offered to us by Jesus Christ, an abundant life. Those that have done this have left a Shechem behind, right? And Shechem represents in this story a place of sin, a place where, again, where Jacob never should have stopped and he needed to get out of. So in verse four there, all the foreign gods they had in their hands and they even took the earrings from their ears and they left them in Shechem. And we are simply getting a picture here of just leaving everything behind to go to the place where God wants you to be. This is just a picture of complete and absolute surrender. They will carry nothing into their new life from the past life. And I'm being redundant here, I know, with this, but this is what happens when a person is born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. So a new creation still doesn't live in the same way that they used to live before they came to Christ. So these folks are leaving it all behind to go where God wants them to go. They're dropping it there, putting under that tree, moving on. Now, let me show you how Jesus taught this very same thing. Let's mark this page again and turn to the New Testament book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look down and start reading in verse 17. Mark 10, 17. Now, it says, now as he was going out on the road, this is speaking of Jesus, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what shall I do that I might that I may inherit eternal life. So this guy wanted to go to heaven when he died. He wanted to be saved. Verse 18, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, that is God. Now, of course, we know from the gospel of John and other scriptures that Jesus is God. But Jesus continues and says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. 
Okay, so pause right there because this guy seems to be a good person, right? A lot of people think that that will, is the reason that they can go to heaven because they're a good person. This guy kept the law. And today, good people keep the law and do some good things, right? Excuse me. And then verse 21, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Now, listen, there's something important to understand about this verse here. At the beginning of verse 21 there, where it says, then Jesus looking at him, loved him. That word looking that you see there in the original Greek was the word emblepo. And that word is used 13 times in the New Testament. And each time it is used, it is speaking of not just a quick glance or a brief look at someone, but rather it speaks of an intense study, a deep looking into a person's life. So Jesus looks at this young man and he looks at him deep and he studies him and it says, and he loves him, right? So he's not saying something harsh to this man to try and chase him away. He loves him. But he sees in this man's heart what it is that is really gripping this man's life. This one thing you lack. He's saying, I've kept all this. I've done all this. But this one thing you lack. And God today, the Lord today, looks upon us in that intent way with love. Right? And he loves us. He looks deep within us. And he sees the things that he wants us to clean up, to get rid of, to let go of. Okay? Our God sees what others do not see. Our God sees us in a way that no one else does, and nor can we often see ourselves in that way. This guy, again, he thought he was good because he kept the law, but there was something internally gripping this guy, and Jesus was the one that was able to see what it was. And Jesus then spoke in a way that this guy's true heart would now be revealed, what was really inside of him. And Jesus told this guy to let go of everything. This world has given him and to do what? To take up the cross and to follow Jesus. Taking up the cross means we die to ourselves. Okay? We let go of everything. It's, it's not about us anymore. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. So he's dead. But then he says, nevertheless, I live. But it's not me who lives. It's Christ that lives in me. That's what it's all about, is we die to ourselves, and it's Christ that lives in us. And he, Paul, Paul went on to say, and the life that I now live in the flesh. So what about our daily life? Every day we get up, we have to do this and that. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me, right? We, we live for Jesus, right? And the desire of our hearts need to be to seek God with our lives and not to have anything else where we make an altar at, like this young man did. It was his possessions. It was all that he had that gripped him. And what was this man's reaction to what Jesus told him? Verse 22, but he was sad at, his, at, at this word and went, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
So if you picture this scene all over again, it's kind of interesting because if you look back for a moment at verse 17, you'll see where it says that this man came running to Jesus and knelt down before him. So this man seems serious. He's running to Jesus. He's eager to know how can he have eternal life. But now down here in verse 22, he's sad because the truth is revealed. The truth was deep in his heart, he really wasn't all that serious. Okay, And many people live this way today. They may come to a religion today. They may come to a denomination. They may run to it. They may come to a non-denomination. Right? Whatever it may be. But that's as much as they want. They don't want to read and obey the Bible. They don't want to lay it all down. They don't want to completely sell out for Jesus. They simply want to have their cake and eat it too, as they say, right? But as is the case with Jacob back in Genesis 35, when you are coming to this place where God wants you to be, you don't take any of the old ways with you. You clean house and you drop it all behind, right? You die to the old you and you become alive to the new you in Christ Jesus. And Jesus looked at this man that we're talking about here and saw his heart. And you know, it's the heart of the matter that really matters. What's in our heart? From within us is the place where we surrender all. I won't have you turn there right now, but you can make a a note to go and and look later at another passage of Scripture found in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus is speaking in regards to some other people that wanted to follow Him, but they had other distractions prohibiting them in their lives from doing so, and they were giving Jesus those excuses as to why they couldn't come right now. But Jesus said to them, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Coming to Jesus means you're leaving this stuff behind and there's no turning back. Remember what we read earlier in Genesis several weeks back when we studied what we saw in uh, Lot's wife, right? Lot and his family were given the opportunity to escape the world they lived in. They were given the opportunity to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, to be saved. But Lot's wife, what did she do? She looked back. And she was destroyed as a result. So when we come to Christ, there's that place where we're dropping everything and we're leaving it behind. But then a lot of people have such an affection toward what they left behind that they tend to look back or be drawn back to that. But coming to God, that's not what it is. It's an absolute surrender. And we see that in what in this story here of this rich young ruler, as he's called, and, and the story of Jesus. So as we flip back to Genesis 35, again, they were leaving this old life behind. They were moving on to this place where God wanted them to be. Then in verse 5 of Genesis 35, it says, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So God was protecting this group of people now. 
and he's watching over them. Again, we know because he has a grand plan for these people's lives, right? Verse six goes on and says, so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Now we've talked about this in, in chapters past, haven't we? When Jacob wrestled with God, when God was in human form, and, and he told him that his name would be Israel. But as we went through the pages of Scripture so far since that, since that study back then, we've seen that he still is called Jacob from time to time here. And if you remember, the name Jacob means a heel catcher, right? And that's the kind of guy that Jacob was. In some sense, he was a trickster kind of guy. We've talked about that in the past, right? The guy that wasn't above pulling a fast one. And this got him into a lot of trouble. And this got him into trouble with his brother, but the name Israel means God prevails. So Jacob had his fleshly nature, but in his life, ultimately, God would prevail. And for you and me, this is going to be the case as well. Either our fleshly nature is going to prevail or God is going to prevail. It's really that simple in our lives. Either our fleshly nature is going to prevail or God is going to prevail. We are going to either be governed by ourselves and our fleshly desires or we are going to be governed by God and God's going to prevail in our lives. You know, life doesn't, from a spiritual standpoint, doesn't get any simpler than that. That's really what it boils down to. It's either going to be all about you and what you do or it's going to be about God and what he wants for you. And in order to have eternal life, we must die to being governed by ourselves and submit to being governed by God and let God prevail. Verse 11 here was a very important statement, has a very important statement here that we all must understand. Also, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Now, pause right there because that's the important statement that I'm talking about right there. You are not. I am not God Almighty in our lives, right? We must come to a place when we leave it all behind, we internally let go of the reins of our own lives, we, we don't have a passion for this world or the things of it, instead we have a passion for God. And we humble ourselves and we realize that there is one far greater than us who has our, our best interests at heart and that is God Almighty. And as Jesus looked at that young man's heart that we read, right? And he looked at him and, and he loved him, right? God still looks upon us with love today. And he simply wants us to sell out to him, lay everything else down and to follow him. Jacob has come back to this place in his life now. He has left the place where his, he had his bad choices and he hung around with bad company that corrupted good morals and that caused his family 
great problems. And now God tells him here in verse 11, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, of, a nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So you see, it's only by walking with God will we be able to truly be fruitful in this life and multiply, have that abundant life which the Lord Jesus has promised us. You see, God's plan for us is good as well. God's plan for all the people of the world, quite frankly, is good, but not all the people of the world will surrender their lives to God's plan. They'd rather remain the captain of their own ships. They'd rather chart out their own destiny. They'd rather map their own course in this life, so they stick with their own philosophies, and they live in the way they want to live. God had a plan for Abraham, we've seen, for Isaac, for Jacob, Israel, right? The, the ones that would descend from Jacob, they would be the chosen people, the ones whom God would ultimately use to bless the whole world by bringing forth his only begotten son through that people, the Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus is the only way to eternal life, true abundant life. And we can't make the mistake of trading the eternal for the temple. We have to think about that in our lives. Have we made that mistake? And if we do, we need to repent of that. We need to clean house. We need to let go of that which is temporary and, and fails us. And we need to hold on to that which is eternal. Verse 14, let's read on. So Jacob set up a, set up, set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. So to put this simply here, Jacob was just marking this place. He was honoring this place where God had spoken to him. You'll always remember how great the day was when your new life in Christ began. For some, it happens all on one day, in a sense, right? That's how it was for me when I was 21 years old back in 1986. A new life began for me. For others, it happens gradually as they, they just continue to learn more and more about God and they surrender more and more of their lives to God. And for me, it happened that way as well. It was a period of time of surrendering more and more to God. But I had that experience in one day where I was changed, you know, where I surrendered all and came to the Lord, right? But that's the reason that I offer these teachings through the Bible. This is what God has called me to do, right? So that people can come to this knowledge and grow in the Lord. But nonetheless, wherever it happens for someone, it's a special time when you come to God. And he begins to do something new in your heart. And Jacob's just marking this special time and, and this place here. He honors this place. And then in verse 16, then they journeyed from Bethel. And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing her, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Onai, 
but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar, set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. So as you look at the, that, those verses there, even though something new begins in your life, even though something good is happening and beginning for Jacob here, he's, he's finally going, he's, he's letting these things behind, he's getting rid of and he's cleaning up the foreign idols, all this, getting rid of everything, right? But in this world, we still have hard times, don't we? The woman that Jacob loved, her soul has now left her body and Jacob now had to bury her body. Before she died, she called the name of her son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob slash Israel, right? He thought it best to change the child's name and called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Uh, Israel would now have to raise this child without his mother being there. But even through the hard times of life, Life must go on, right? So after the funeral, verse 21 says, then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. Now it's kind of strange how this verse got broken up here. <laughs> Remember the original were not, you know, the original writing was not divided into chapters and verses as we read it today. Uh, this was written as one continuous book. It's broken up in chapters and verses because it's easier for us to read it this way. But the end of verse 22 there really should go with the beginning of verse 23 because it's easier to read verse 23 as now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. But also, there's kind of a little bomb drop there back in verse 22, right? That's kind of quickly glanced over. It's not expounded upon in the scriptures here, but it says that Reuben, which is Israel slash Jacob's oldest son went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now, if you remember from Genesis 29, Bilhah was given to Rachel by her father Laban to be Rachel's handmaid, okay? Then when we got to Genesis chapter 30, we saw where Rachel gave Bilhah to Jacob to be another wife of his because Rachel couldn't have children. So a concubine is a woman that has a lower status than the main wife. This kind of thing happened in the Old Testament. Again, as I've mentioned a few times in the past, a perfect God trying to work out his perfect will through the lives of imperfect people. And here Reuben sins with Bilhah. This family, like most families on the earth, today had a lot of skeletons in the closet, right? In other words, there's a lot of sin in this family. And we've read about it in the past several chapters. And the Bible doesn't try and, and hide that. It points out the truth, okay? We'll see in verse 23 here that the three eldest sons of Jacob were Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. 
Um, at the end of chapter 34, we saw the mess that Simeon and Levi made. If you remember last week for Jacob, they made a mess for him by killing all those men in Shechem. That was what Simeon and Levi did. And now the eldest son, Reuben, does this despicable thing. But you know, the interesting thing is that it would, be, it would not be one of those three sons that would receive the blessing of Jacob, right? It was going to be the fourth son, Judah. And you see what, what these guys were like. And the blessing went on to Judah. Why do I say the blessing went on to Judah? Well, because from Judah would come Jesus, the Messiah. If you follow the line all the way down, Again, you can go and read that in Matthew chapter one. It would be from the line of Judah that, they, that Jesus would come. And Jacob knows what happened here with Reuben. So even though he is his eldest son, he, he will not receive that blessing, okay? But let's go ahead and, and read out the rest of the chapter here. Verse 23, the sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and uh, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Haram. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kirjath, Arba, that is Hebron, with Abraham, or where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. So he gets to that place now, right? Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and he died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. So just a lot of genealogical history there that you can study deeper in your private studies. Isaac, Jacob's father, has passed away now, though, and his sons, were told, buried him. But there is some really good practical stuff in this short chapter that we talked about today. Again, one of the things we see that it's time to clean house, right? And the house is you. You are the temple of the living God. And today is a, a good day. It's, it's a good day to repent and to surrender your life completely to God, to drop the things of this world that may grip you, that may have a stronghold in your life like that young man that Jesus encountered, right? Be it material things or be it just stubborn philosophies that you've carried around your whole life. Get rid of the foreign gods, in your life and instead worship the true and living God because he looks upon us with an intense love. He doesn't just take a quick glance at our lives, right? And he desires that we would have what is good in this life. And there is no better thing than to know and to walk with our creator. You see, he looks upon us with love and he wants what's good for us but there is an enemy to our souls that is the God of this age, the ruler of this present darkness, this world we live in, and he wants the opposite. He wants to, to kill, to steal, to destroy, to take from us. So he tries to get our affections off of Jesus in any way that he can. 
and to put our affections on the things of this world that can grip us and take our eyes off of Jesus. But what we need to do is drop it all. Find some tree somewhere and lay it all down. Just get rid of it, right? And I'm talking about spiritual things, but I'm using this metaphor of, of what we see here happen in, in, happening in Jacob's life. Just drop it, leave it behind and move on. Go to the place where God wants you to be. So if in your heart, you're hearing, hearing what I'm telling you, you know it's time to take up the cross and follow Jesus, then don't ignore it, respond to it. For those of you present here, I'll be glad to pray with you if you'd like about anything in your life. And for those of you that listen via the internet, don't hesitate to contact me with any questions. I can be reached at pastordave at aloveoutreach.com. But whether you come to me or not really doesn't matter. But you must come to Jesus because he is the only one that we can turn to for salvation. For the Bible tells us, in Acts 4.12, that there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we can be saved. So is it time to clean the house? Search within your own heart and determine what needs to be let go of and dropped. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, again, we thank you for your holy word, your living word that is active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner, of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So Lord, only you can look upon our hearts. And when you do, Lord, we are thankful that you look upon our hearts and even though you see who we really are, you look upon us with love. Today is Valentine's Day, February 14th, but there is no greater love than you. There's no greater love than what you have done. There's no greater love than what you have for us as individuals, Lord. And may we respond to that love. And may we seek you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we put you first, Lord, in our lives. May we clean house and throw things out and put them by the curb, whatever it may be, Lord. May we just clean house, Lord, and serve you with all of our lives, Lord. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for your presence amongst us by your spirit within us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.